support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. On this episode, we're doing something a little different. A couple weeks ago, Verge senior reporter Alex Heath had a gigantic scoop that Facebook would be changing its name, which led to what I would only describe as a frenzy of speculation. This week, Facebook changed its name. It changed the name to Meta officially. That's the name of the whole company. The Facebook app still exists. It's still called Facebook. Instagram, WhatsApp still exist. They're all just part of a company that is now named Meta. And the reason for that is Mark Zuckerberg wants to focus on building what he calls the metaverse. Last week, Alex had the chance to sit down with Mark Zuckerberg and talk about the new name that ran on TheVerge.com. And this week on Decoder, he's talking to Andrew Bosworth, one of Facebook's most powerful and longest tenured executives, and soon-to-be CTO of the company now called Meta. We wanted to share that with you on Decoder. Alex is with me. Hi, Alex. Hey, Neelai. So you interviewed Andrew Bosworth. Most people call him Boz. You call him Boz in the interview. Just lagging that for everybody. What should I be listening for here? I think the first thing is, while Boz has had a lot of influence inside the company formerly known as Facebook for a while, his background is fascinating. He's been a big part of Facebook's history since practically the beginning, dating back 15 years. He helped build the original news feed, Facebook groups, Messenger, and its mobile ads business. He's been leading its AR and VR division for the past few years, which now has more than 10,000 employees, and his remit is only going to grow when he becomes the CTO of Meta next year. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation, including what he thinks about the recent leaks of internal company documents called the Facebook Papers, a bit of the backstory behind Facebook's name change to Meta, and even how crypto could potentially have a role in building the metaverse. Boz oversees all the consumer hardware Meta is building for the Metaverse 2, including the Quest VR headset, a high-end mixed reality headset coming next year, and farther out AR glasses. We talked about all of that. That sounds fascinating. I have two questions that I'm wondering if you talked about in the interview. One, the Facebook leaks, the papers you've reported on. We were part of the consortium that got the Facebook papers. You reported on them. How much of that is tied to the name change? Are they reacting or are they thinking ahead? They say this is not a reaction. Zuckerberg told me that and Bosworth echoed that. I mean, they started the formal process of this rebrand just over six months ago, well before the whistleblower was public. But there's definitely a bit of trying to get away, I think, from the Facebook app as they push forward into this more kind of futuristic, platform-driven metaverse concept. So we did get into that. 
And the, the second question, which I don't think anybody has an answer to yet, but I'm going to continue to insist is the central question of the AR VR universe. Facebook is a content moderation company. That's like the thing that it does. It has a platform, people post on it, and then it lives in a world of controversy about what it keeps up and what it takes down. AR is a content moderation problem in a totally different kind of scale. Like I'm looking at a building and there's a label over it. Who gets to decide what that label is? Did, did Boz hint that they were thinking about that already? We talked some about how moderation would work in a metaverse where you're an avatar of yourself interacting with others. And, you know, I don't want to spoil the interview, but I asked him, you know, will there be a newsfeed in the metaverse? Right? <laughs> he he co-invented the newsfeed. His name is literally on the patent with Mark Zuckerberg. And I thought his answer to that was honestly pretty fascinating. And I don't want to do a disservice by spoiling it up front. All right. Well, I'm very excited to listen to this. Andrew Bosworth, soon to be CTO of Meta and Alex Heath. Here we go. Andrew Bosworth, you are the VP of Reality Labs at Meta and soon to be CTO of Meta. Welcome to Decoder. Thanks for having me. I want to get into everything you guys just announced at Connect, big new corporate rebrand, um, focus on the metaverse. But first, man, I, I got to know, what were the other name options? Because over the last <laughs> week, I'm sure you've seen there's been a lot of guesses. I personally would have loved the Washington football team. But uh, I'm really curious if you can just give a short classic. list of kind of what were the options? This is probably someone else's story to tell more than mine, especially Alex Schultz, who uh, pretty masterful at the scale that this company operates to have this held out as long as we did uh, was, was, I think, pretty spectacular. Obviously, one of the things that you, the names you see us investing a lot in is, is Horizon. At some point, you had to make a choice of like, well, you want the entire company to be a metaverse company, but you also want to have a product within that. So, so Horizon is, and you saw we talked about worlds and rooms and home as kind of these three pillars of, of what Horizon is. So that was one of the ones that we were discussing. I know you you took a shot in the dark on that one. It was a near miss. I spoiled a little bit of your all's surprise about a week ago. It was a good scoop, man. We don't know how you got it. it was that, don't tell me. I like to. I don't like to have the surprise ruined for me. I, I thought it might be Horizon. Meta was the other short list. Can I tell your listeners? So you sent me a DM, and it's the only thing I'm going to say. I think you, you sent me a DM, and you're like, this is this a week ago. You're like, it better not just be Meta. And I just didn't <laughs> respond. You know, it's, it's just troll. Reporters troll me all the time for, for information, and you just you can't respond. I didn't respond. And then today, the moment it was announced, the first thing I did was reply to that thread, <laughs> reply to uh, that response. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you did. And I should say, um, you mentioned Alex Schultz earlier. For people who don't know, that's Facebook's CMO, one of your Meta CMO, even. God, Facebook's Meta CMO. <laughs> See, this is going to be the whole podcast uh, and a longtime, <laughs> longtime colleague of yours. So you oversee a very large part of Meta now, and it's going to get bigger when you become CTO next year, um, Chief Technology Officer. I'd love to get into all that. First, for the audience, I'd love for you to kind of just quickly walk through your background, what you worked on before this, and how you got to be in this role. You know, I have kind of a, uh, a really wide-ranging background at Facebook. I've been at Facebook a long time. So I, as an undergraduate, I studied artificial intelligence, I had a brief stint at Microsoft, actually, which was, which was great, taught me a lot about professional software development and, and management, but joined Facebook relatively early in my career. 
the first thing I did out the gates, and what a, what a great assignment, working with Chris Cox and Ruchi Song V Newsfeed. And I built all the AI, the ranking, and we built the first, as far as I know, the first ranked content feed. And I built all the ranking, the AI behind it. Chris built the front end, and Ruchi was the, was the PM. I want to just stop here for a second. Uh, I don't think people understand how early you were at Facebook. Do you have a sense of like how many people there are that have been there longer than you? Uh, now, I think, you know, five or six that have been there longer than me at this point. Okay. When I joined, there was probably 15 of us, 15 engineers at the company. A few of us are still here. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Zuck, Naomi, some of the big names. Yeah. Chris Cox, I think we're, we're going to count it. He, he beat me by a month, although he did leave for a year. So we're not entirely clear if that resets right. the clock or how it works. Right. It was early. And, you know, and we were just like a website for college kids. You know, I remember when we were building Newsfeed in 2006, January, I asked Mark, I was like, well, what's the scale? It's like, well, we just hit our you know five million user mark. Build it for ten. That'll take us a long time to get to. Of course, by the time we launched six months later, we were already we blown past ten. It was you know it was a crazy journey. It really worked across all of our product. Back then, it was really homogenous. You know, if you you worked on the entire product, you worked on photos and wall and profiles and all these things together. And then I had a big stint running communication stuff. So Messenger is one of the teams that I was leading when we created Messenger. And groups, I'm really proud of that one. You know, it was a small team that I was I was leading of, that created what is now one of our, I think, our great contributions as Facebook groups. I, and I've worked on a lot of the teams there in the, in the interim, privacy and, and infrastructure and, and site speed and these things, to mobile ads and then ultimately the ads. And I kind of ran the ads business from 2012 to, or 2013, I suppose, till 2017, which was a dramatic period of growth for us. And it was a fun time to be working on that product. And then, yeah, now the last four years I've been working on, at first it was called ARVR, then Facebook Reality Labs, and now just Reality Labs, uh, which is a part of Meta. Gosh, so many name changes. I'm like Daniel's son and Mr. Mia in, in the Karate Kid. Like, I, I first I like spent a lot of time painting the fence, spent a lot of time waxing the car. Now I'm, you know, maybe equipped to do the job that I'm in. We'll see. So now you have this org that is... Over 10,000 people now. Mark said on the last earnings call, you guys are going to spend at least $10 billion this year alone on the metaverse, on building all this stuff that, that you kind of directly oversee. When you think back to, you know, being that early, being one of the first, you know, 15 engineers or so, did you ever think you'd be overseeing a team in a budget that large? I don't think anyone really expected that Facebook would eventually be spending this much on, on this stuff. No, uh, you know, I didn't have a concept of that. I don't think anyone can ever really have a concept of what it means to have a team that numbers, uh, you know, that many phenomenally talented people who could get a job anywhere and they choose to work with us. Uh, we're grateful for that. And the, the amount of money is, is hard to fathom. To some degree, I think all of us as just a species, we're a little bit enumerate as it relates to big numbers, you know, and, and there's like big tech numbers we think of as being big, big dollar numbers, you know, those pale in comparison to government, but they're certainly bigger than anything that we deal with on our day-to-day -day lives. And so it, I do think this is one of the pieces for me that maybe I feel like we're at a privileged point in history because the magnitude of technological shift that we are trying to manifest here hasn't been attempted in a long time. I think certainly the creation of the internet in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s was one of them. I think if you go back to Xerox Park and the work they did on the Alto, that's probably one of them. Obviously Bell Labs and the Transistor, that's like kind of one of them. Like, you know, there are these really epic moments where a technology is, is pioneered and advanced well in advance of us really having a fully detailed understanding of all the ways it's going to affect us or do things. 
And I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that history. It's not happening just at one company. It's happening in the entire industry right now. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's daunting. It's terrifying. But it's obviously also a tremendous honor and privilege. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I talk to Boz about some of the scrutiny Facebook has received recently, and I ask him if the name change was an effort to obfuscate that scrutiny. Stick around. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com US innovate. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with Andrew Bosworth. I want to acknowledge the moment we're in, too, with this rebrand for Facebook and now Meta. You all are no stranger to scrutiny. I think it's probably safe to say you might be the most scrutinized company in the world right now. Um, Yeah. It's probably safe to say. There's been these Facebook papers the last few weeks. There's already the conspiracy theories that you guys did this rebrand at this time to try to change the narrative. I know that's not the case. I interviewed your boss, yeah. Mark, and he told me this started over six months ago, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, if we wanted to do that, we would have not done it this way. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if that was the goal, then we would have taken a very different approach. <laughs> but acknowledging the moment we're in, I mean, what yeah. do you say to the people who say this is a change to distance the brand tax that exists with the Facebook name now for certain people and for lawmakers and the press from everything else you all are doing. What do you say to that? It's not that. I mean, everything that we do is centered around consumers and consumer expectations. And we really were starting to hit these kind of unusual spots. Uh, I'll give you an example. So we had Oculus accounts. And part of the problem with Oculus accounts was that people really weren't building up any kind of network to connect with. And what we do know is that when people have a network, they have more fun. <laughs> For the same amount of time spent in the headset, they enjoy it more. That's what they tell us. And so we went to pretty elaborate extents to try to get, okay, let's let's use the Facebook network in Oculus. And it's an odd fit. It was an odd fit. And, uh, you know, Mark has now announced that we're going to change the way that we do accounts in Oculus. So we're trying to solve a problem. And the only solution available to us isn't a great solution. This kind of thing was happening all over the place. You know, Facebook is a product. Having it try to also be an umbrella brand which we tried, obviously, for the last several years, it was really a struggle for us. It was really a struggle for consumers. I don't think consumers really had a strong mental model of how that worked. You know, if you ask consumers about, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp, and do you want to link these things or not link them, they understand what that means because they have a sense of those are products that they can have a sense of. Uh, and so I think we want to be able to have things like accounts that are at the meta level, but still give consumers a really strong 
understanding of how products relate to the data they're giving up, the, who they're connecting to, what value they're getting in exchange for all of that, and make sure they feel good about it. So I think all these things are very consumer friendly. That's a very practical reason to do it. The second part of it for me is I get that it's cheesy and no one wants to just run with the story we're telling. It's the real damn story. So I don't know how to say it. It's like, it's an exciting vision of, of what comes next to some degree. Like we have hit the natural saturation point with mobile phones, with the mobile internet, with social networks, like they kind of are what they're going to be. There's a lot of them. It's very competitive, but they're competitive on the margins, but like we're not seeing big steps forward and totally new things as much anymore. And I think the, the metaverse feels like something that doesn't exist today and you can't do it any other way. It's in pockets. There's little glimpses of it. And I think we're excited about that. But the things that we're describing are mostly just not possible without tremendous investment. And so I think for us, like the corporate umbrella of Facebook served us so well for such a long time because it was itself an unfulfilled vision. There's still a lot of work to do there, obviously. But now we have a new unfulfilled vision that I think can power us for let's say the next 15 or 20 years. As you guys are doing all this and trying to lean into the future and trying to position the company that way, do you feel, I don't know what the right word is, under siege at all from the outside in terms of like the barrage of what is hitting you all? Is it distracting? Like, are you having to constantly tell people, look, like we need to focus on what we're trying to build because people's families are asking about these Facebook papers or what have you. How do you navigate that? I think it really depends on what your job is and, and where you are. Obviously, you know, I think the comms team is, is pretty busy these days. I think for people who work in the field that are under discussion, if you're in research or in integrity, uh, it's hard because, you know, we don't think these tell a particularly objective story. These weren't random documents. These were specifically selected documents. They're curated. There's a selection bias that went into the documents. Um, so I, I was selfishly, teams, I, I was selfishly disappointed there were no Reality Labs documents. Um, <laughs> in the top, uh, oh yeah, you can imagine it, my disappointment. Yeah, not. I'm sure. Uh, no, yeah. So, so I think it depends on where you work. I think for those teams who's having their work maybe mischaracterized or misunderstood, I think that's a challenge that, that they're going through as a personal struggle, and, and obviously that's part of it. But for a lot of people, yeah, they're they're able to stay pretty heads down. I think my team, we, we talk about it. We, we have a very frank discussion about, hey, here's what's out there. Here's Here's the reality as we see it. Here's uh, what you can do to follow up. You know, I think people are pretty satisfied with that. They've got the ability to talk to their friends and family, and, and you know, they can point them to the posts that Mark has made and say, hey, you know, here's the post, here's the thing, if you're asking the questions. But it affects all of us differently. It affects everyone differently, and, and a lot really does vary by the team and the role that, that people play. So it's not a uniform thing. We're such a big company. There's Nothing's really going to affect us in a uniform way. Yeah. So onto some of this naming stuff. Part of this is you guys are also getting rid of the Oculus name. I saw you announce that shortly after Connect and replacing it with Meta Portal, which is your all's video chat device for the home, is going to be called Meta Portal, Meta Horizon. Mm -hmm. Can you, I guess, particularly with Oculus, which I think is probably the more established, you know, yeah. thing you guys have for VR, why do that? It's established and it's beloved, both internally and externally. So this it is kind of a, a heartbreaker. At some point, and again, all, the center of this always on the consumers. And at some point, you want to have consumers have tremendous clarity about what is the company that's providing this product? And then what are the services on that product? And, and what can they use? And you just can't just put so many brands. <laughs> you just can't have so many brands. We all get out there on the internet and kind of make jokes about companies that have, you know, 
eight or ten brand names in a row for everything they do. Uh, but then when it's our brands, we're like, oh, no, no, don't that one. We love that one. That one's a special one for us. So to some degree, you have to kind of walk the walk and say, hey, I love the Oculus brand. And I'm, I'm sad that that we are moving away from it. I'm going to miss it. The community is going to miss it. Uh, it's funny. That was the number, probably the number one reaction in my in my like Twitter and Instagram mentions today was just like, you know, sadness. There was, there was a real turning point for virtual reality at Oculus. But it was, it was, you know, we want to make sure that we have a very good clarity with consumers. This is a meta product so that they understand what that is and uh, build the equity there in their minds. So they understand what that is. So, yeah, we had to move in a different direction. So in the future, I'm going to have a meta account and I can choose to log into my meta quest. For, with, you know, for, with the- yeah, for, ne- for now, we don't have all the details. And I don't mean this like we're not sharing the details. I mean, we don't have all the details yet on the direction we're going to go. I think it was important for Mark to signal that as part of this change, we are recognizing that it was a mistake to go bundle Facebook accounts with the Oculus Quest. And you got a lot of blowback work. when you did that, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it all came from a good place. Like I said, we had a, we had a, a vision. We knew something was going to be very pro-consumer on the other side of it. And you know, it hasn't been a factor for sales or engagement or things that that indicate to us that people care about the product and are, are enjoying it and using it. But in the community that is, you know, we love our enthusiast community. You know, that was a controversial change, and some parts of it have played out as we'd hoped they would. People are spending more time being more social, but some parts have played out in a different way, and, and so it's it's been a little bit confusing. And we just we never want to have any confusion. My um, number one responsible innovation principle that we work with is never surprise people. That's number one. And, and the so Facebook me, thing surprised people. I mean, when yeah. you guys rolled it out, it did. Well, the name change today surprised people. That I mean, in the product. <laughs> I mean, in people's expectations of a product that they're using as consumers. And so, yeah, for me, that's where we start and finish in this thing. So for the account stuff, we don't have it. It's not all settled how it's going to be structured or how it's going to be named or, or anything like that. Since we, this became clear to us, we've been working on this name change for six months. Since that moment, we, we started working internally on, okay, if we're doing that, then the account system also can change finally. We can actually accomplish our goals and not force the kind of bundling. So we think it's going to be really good for consumers, obviously more details as we have them. We're well underway on the work there, but a lot of the consumer-facing work, what it's going to be called and how they're going to, people are going to access it and relate to it is, is to be determined. This whole metaverse concept, I, I talked a lot with Mark about this. We can keep it pretty high level. I mean, the idea is this immersive embodied internet that is 3D. That's You could think of today like Roblox or Fortnite where people are hanging out as avatars and um, you guys are wanting to build this kind of in AR and VR. I'm curious about like how you take the concepts that we know today, a lot of them that you helped invent at Facebook and social media and translate that to the metaverse. Like, is there... Is there going to be a newsfeed in Horizon, which is this this metaverse platform, software platform you all are building? Like, how are you thinking about the ways people engage with the con- with content in the metaverse? I don't think there will be a literal newsfeed, except there might be your actual newsfeed from Facebook. There's no reason that 2D interfaces aren't going to be an important part of an immersive metaverse. You know, in the same way that they're an important part of how we navigate um, the physical world. But I, yeah, of course, you know, there's going to be so much to do. In some ways, right, if you think about you go to a city, there's so much to do in a, in a new city. How do you, like, figure out what you want to do? And there's entire services, entire industries designed to help you navigate the amount that there's to do. Well, there's going to be way more to do in the metaverse, especially when you, when you can instantaneously travel to any, you know, of the many cities, you know, that we kind of imagine ultimately populating the place. 
you'll definitely need to have services that help you, hey, what's what's new, what's hot, what's trending, what's going on, what are other people doing, what are your friends doing, how can you plan things, can you schedule things? So I, all those services were going to exist and we're super excited about them. But I do think that it's a little bit cart before the horse. Like before I can figure out how I need to rank content for you, I need to have content for you. <laughs> That's just the sequencing that has to happen. Yeah. Um, when you think about Facebook, how it allows one to many broadcasting, reaching people, someone can instantly reach millions of people kind of fueled by algorithms. Do you think that kind of value will translate to horizon? Like, for example, like, do I need to be the friend of someone or a friend of a friend before I could even interact with them in horizon? Are you thinking about making it kind of more of a closed social graph or is that still to be determined? It's still to be determined, but you've struck on something I think very interesting. I think there's sort of, again, there will be use for these asynchronous modalities that we've developed for the web and for the phone. Some of them will be 2D and some will be 3D, and that's going to be great. And there's lots of things that you can do in the metaverse, you know, by yourself as experiences, and that's going to be great. But a lot of it is going to be quite new because it's, I think the metaverse is largely a synchronous experience. You're there with people in real time having experience in real time. That's something meaningful about it. That's a trait that it possesses that is actually hard to get at in the internet that we have on mobile phones and on the web. You know, you get touches of it. Look, here we are doing a podcast. That's a cool synchronous thing. And people do video calls. They don't love it. It's not great, but we can, we do that. But for social, for fun, it's not generally the way that we have these shared experiences today. So I do think that a lot of things are going to be different. A lot of the the ideas that we've had to pioneer on the web won't translate and you have to completely rethink them. Some of them, it's nice because you'll be able to deploy metaphors from the real world, the physical world. That's great. Some of them will be completely novel because there, there isn't an analog in the physical world and that will require real invention. And then to your question about the friends thing, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that because it's a synchronous environment, I think how we as a society want to think about integrity, privacy is an open question. The stronger the integrity and privacy guarantees I want to make, the weaker the interop is going to be. And we know that that's a tough trade-off that we have to balance. You know, likewise, if we make really strong privacy guarantees, that could trade off directly against integrity. You know, if there's a private conversation and we're not able to hear it, how do we manage the situation? One of the things that we do know we're going to do, which I'm enthusiastic about, is give every individual who comes to the metaverse the tools to control their own experience. So absolutely the idea of being like, hey, I'm only going to be visible and only visible to me will be people who are within certain spheres. Or here's a person who I don't like. I mute them. They now don't exist. (laughs) You know, and unlike on the Internet where there's kind of just like an endless stream of accounts, that's not how it is in a physical environment. You know, there's, there's a real cost to kind of switching accounts. And so I think there are some advantages that the synchronous environment is going to have in terms of an individual being able to feel in control of themselves and their experience and feel safe. In terms of stuff that's newer, you all talked a little bit about crypto NFTs briefly at Connect. And first time I've really heard Mark even, I think, say the word NFT publicly. I'm curious what uh, you think the the promise of smart contracts, blockchain technology, I'm thinking of DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations can do in the metaverse and kind of an embodied internet where I'm an avatar with a bunch of people in an asynchronous environment. Yeah, well, when you think about interoperability, entitlements, as we would call it in kind of the game industry, is this important concept, like who owns a thing? 
And what rights do they have to it? Can they make copies of it? Can they sell it? Can they take it with them into every single location? What locations can they take it into? That's not hard to do with a database if the entire metaverse is controlled by one company, which we don't want it to be and we don't think it can be. It's not necessarily hard to do with a database if we have a really good standardized schema and you can pick which database it's in and it goes here and there and everyone kind of has access to that. But another way to do it that could be really strong is yeah, NFTs and crypto where you've got, okay, you've got the ledger. Uh, so instead of having to store it in a database somewhere, which has its own downsides, yeah, you store it in the blockchain. And there's an ability to say, yep, the system can verify that I'm the owner of this object and I have the right to make copies of it or to sell copies or whatever the thing is. There's an opportunity there. I think you know this, you know, that space is very exciting and moving very quickly. The fundamental technologies are definitely one of the things that could be useful here. And I'd be very surprised if they weren't one of the things undergirding at least part of it. I'm not sure that every part of the metaverse is going to be underpinned by crypto, but I think it's important to support it. And especially given the amount of entrepreneurial energy in that space right now, this really is about creators. I mean, this is the macro trend on the internet will carry us forward into the metaverse, I believe, which is just that creators, the creator economy that includes everything from developers and performers and people who are providing services. You know, I think there's going to be people who are doing interior decorating in the metaverse. They're going to be <laughs> decorating your home for you. There's going to be people who are doing stylists, you know, get your avatar uh, looking fresh. So like, there's going to be services. And so the creator economy is really the thing that will be the biggest thing to unlock. And I think there's going to be concern from creators if the platform doesn't provide them the degree of flexibility and control that they want. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is getting at kind of how maximalist and expansive this idea is, because I think when people think of metaverse and Facebook, they think of like a 3D version of Facebook and like the meta headset. What you're talking yeah. about, especially using blockchain potentially is taking it from one environment to the other. I'm using a hypothetical, say I want to move from Fortnite to Horizon. They're both in VR. I want to take my avatar and all my virtual goods with me. I still, I'm very skeptical that you guys are going to figure that out with all the competitors in the industry. I mean, maybe once this becomes so realized that people have to do it because consumers are demanding it, then maybe. Yep. But building up to that, Apple, for example, they're doing mixed reality. They're going to have headset. They're going to have glasses. I think there's zero chance they work with you all on interoperability in like any kind of a virtual world. Maybe you disagree, but that's just, that's the largest company in the world as an example. So how do you get people to actually buy into this? There's a lot of levels here. I, I certainly think that you're right. Just as the internet itself went through a lot of revisions and protocols that were designed, but never adopted. And then these ones were adopted and, and different things happened. I think that I expect the same to happen around the metaverse. Uh, and the majority of these questions are hard and they're still ahead of us. Um, having said that, I, I don't think we're as far apart from most of the people in the industry as you might think. I think we all generally get a sense that if we can empower creators to have a richer economy that creates a flywheel where more digital creation happens, that's really good for consumers, that grows the economy, that grows the pie, we all benefit. One of the obvious things that you can do to increase the value that you're giving to your developers, your creators, and I've heard, yeah, you know, I've heard uh, Roblox, I've heard Epic, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, is, is getting them a larger audience. That's an easy one. It, it costs you nothing. They're developing the same thing, and now the audience is larger. So I think the watchword for the metaverse is continuity, being able to have a continuity of experiences across both experiences and platforms built by different companies. And so 
there are areas where this is actually pretty workable. Let's take avatars. You know, being able to implement somebody else's avatar or having implementing your avatar for someone else's system is actually pretty workable. It's not like an impossible challenge. Does that mean every avatar is going to be useful everywhere? No, of course not. But, you know, there are also clothes that I can't wear in every place that I go in the physical world, and that wouldn't be appropriate. So, so I'd that's love like, to know what this is, but... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't wear like an Easter bunny costume to church, uh, you know, so it's sure. like just this, this, this seems like a mixed message. So like, it's not like unheard of that we would have these cases where it's like, ah, I can't take this thing over there because of whatever rules there are, that apply there. And so it's not totally unheard of even in the physical world. So anyways, I bring this up to say, uh, I agree it's going to be hard. You're absolutely right. If there's a thing to be skeptical of, you've nailed it. That's the hardest part for sure. However, at least at a conversational level, you know, whether I'm talking to uh, to people at Microsoft, talking to people at Google, different people, there is a, a vision that we share, I think, that is coming to focus for the industry. And if we can find really strong standards and a way that allows people to recoup their investments, because this is expensive work, as, as Mark said, I think there's a, there's a chance, there's a path. There's, of course, a second path, which is the one that often works, which is like you got enough consumers in one area. Uh, and then you're you're able to attract more and more partners into the area uh, to interoperate uh, on that platform because they want to go where that where the marketplace is. That's another path that is possible. We have to take one more break, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the hardware that was announced at Connect. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back with Andrew Bosworth. I do want to touch on hardware because you guys teased a little bit more about two big hardware things. You've got Cambria, which is this kind of high-end version of VR. It's really mixed yeah. reality, full color pass-through that's coming next year. You're going to share more about it next year. And then you've got Project Aria and Nazare, which are the the AR glasses that are farther out. I guess maybe we could start with Cambria. Um, is the idea that eventually um, all this is going to kind of merge together? And so we had VR first. Now we're going to get pass-through experiences where I'm wearing a headset with video feeds looking out, kind of mixing graphics with the real world. And then eventually we get to AR which yeah. is just in my glasses. Is that is it a continuity like that? Yeah. I, well, from a sequencing standpoint, you're right. And you're certainly right that there's a, a non-trivial overlap in the Venn diagram of AR and VR, and we call it mixed reality. But I will point out 
the use cases are pretty different. You know, if you're putting on a big headset with a larger field of view uh, that's more occluded, that is a little bit more immersive, that's the kind of experience that you might have at your house, at your desk, at your office. You know, it's not one that you're going to have out in the street. <laughs> it's not one that you're going to have on the train walking around. You know, for those experiences, you're probably going to prefer AR. And the things that you want to do when you're up mobile, moving around throughout your day, turn out to be pretty different than things that you're doing when you're sitting in one place. So I think there is a permanent, like, lasting place for VR. I think VR in the future will always be augmented with mixed reality. It's just, like, safer, better for a bunch of things. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's going to be a while before we get there just because right now it's expensive. You're adding cameras. You're adding a, that's a, adding the cameras themselves is necessarily the most expensive thing. But now you have to process all the image data. And so that adds to the thermals, that adds to the to the processing uh, envelope. And so I think, yeah, I think in the future, there will be like, a, there's, a, there's a lasting permanent place for VR in our lives and our workflows and the things that we do uh, for fun. And then there's also like AR, which I think creates its own new category. But then there, of course, you're right. There will be areas that the two overlap at a software level. And so Nazare, which is the codename for these AR glasses that, you know, are still pretty far out. You've got Project Aria right now, which is doing egocentric data capture with no displays in them. You're expanding that program now. You've been doing it for the last year or so where people are just walking around ID'd as, you know, being Facebook contractors or whatever, and they're just capturing what they see and yep. their sensors on their glasses. And this is to help you train how AR glasses will work in the real world because it's just an entirely new point of view for compute. Could you talk a little about how that's going? I think there's two pieces here. I mean, one of which is the egocentric data that we're capturing with Aria and, and using to train. And yeah, you mentioned that there's a lot of security. That in addition to that, we're blurring faces and blurring license plates. The data is not user accessible to the person recorded, so on and so forth. Just for your listeners who are worried, we've got a whole uh, kind of open program on that. The details are all available. That's really critical because uh, so much of what you want to do in augmented reality is contextual. You want it to have a sense of what you're up to, what you're doing. So uh, if somebody walks up to me and they're having a conversation, I need to get all the UI out of my face so that I can see their face and they can see my eyes, and, and that's really good. But maybe there is something that the system can know is so important that it needs to interrupt me for. And so the more context that this thing has, understanding the physical world around me, as well as the digital artifacts it's managing, the better it's going to serve me. Because again, the goal of this is to be both more present and more connected. It doesn't really bias much in the mission of Facebook, at least, if you put these things in your glasses and now you're just constantly on your phone, but it's your glasses. That's not exciting. <laughs> that's not the goal. You know, the goal is to have it so that the information that's relevant to you is there and accessible when you need it. And then it's not there when it would otherwise be in the way or distracting you from a moment that you're experiencing in your actual life. That's a high bar. We're talking about a completely novel interaction design between people and machines that we haven't had before. So I think for me, what we're going to do is really focus on the AI research that comes out of the ARIA data set. And it's a huge partnership with Facebook's, you know, absolutely world-class AI team. Um, you know, we saw, you, uh, to be fair, I think right now <laughs> it is still the Facebook AI team, but oh, you're right. We, got, we probably got to, we got to probably chase that one down all the way down. We actually did, a, I gotta say, we changed the sign in front of the building today. We did oh, a pretty good that. job of, of oh. cascading this thing in one day without it leaking. I'm pretty pleased about that. Um, there are going to be, there, there is going to be a six month adjustment period here as we, as we work through all the pieces. And so anyways, 
the interaction paradigm is so novel, it's going to need a level of intelligent and contextual understanding. And you want to run as much as you can locally on the device. Not only is that the privacy-friendly way to do it, it's also the thing that is probably required because you'd be otherwise sending so much data back and data is expensive to transfer. These are the wireless radios are expensive to operate. We'd like to not operate them. We'd like to do as much of this locally as possible. Um, and so getting these models built that we can then miniaturize into silicon, possibly custom silicon, and then run locally on the device so that you can have this contextual awareness, this user interface that reacts really intuitively to what you're trying to accomplish. That's the North Star vision that we have. And I think it's exciting and it's as hard a thing <laughs> as anything else in here. You know, we talk about these hard technical problems, but the user interaction design challenges are as hard as anything. There's no keyboard, there's no mouse, there's no touchscreen. Direct manipulation is out. So like, what are we doing to try to replace it? What are we trying to do it to, to make it so it's not as required? We don't even have time to talk about the control lab stuff, really. I mean, you're right. There's so much that goes into this. Um, <laughs> so much. So much that you guys are working on. I guess AR glasses, You yeah, you still think are like three years out-ish? What would you say? You know, uh, we definitely hope to be playing with prototypes in the, in the next couple of years. And this is one of the things that I, it confounds the press and nobody believes me. It's really true. It's like, you don't decide, like, here's the thing. I'm going to ship it at this point. You decide, here's the thing. I'm going to build it. And while I'm playing with it, I will decide whether that is a shippable thing or not a shippable thing. People, it's so, it's so funny, I posted these pictures of me and Mark in various prototypes, and those are research prototypes. Those weren't, those weren't even production prototypes. One was an industrial design prototype. It had no mechanics, electronics in it. One was like just for testing the boundaries of resolution. They're just, they're prototypes. And people are like, what is the product? And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like we just have headsets lying about the place covered in all kind of gear to try out things. And then it, they converge relatively late, surprisingly late, I think, to the layperson, whether we decide, okay, that is a product that we have. But we're definitely gonna be playing with some really good, pro we have early, early, early prototypes right now, of course, but we're gonna be playing with more robust prototypes in the next like year, uh, hopefully, maybe two years. All right, Boz, I'm gonna let you get back to your giant mountain of prototypes. Um, <laughs> Just, maybe you can tweet some more te teasers. I'll do what I can, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thanks, man, it was, it was great chatting. All right, thanks, Alex. Thanks again to Alex Heath and to Andrew Bosworth for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like it, leave us that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton Simone and Andrew Marino. We are edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.